Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Greetings and salutations. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 403 in the Cradle of Vexalon comes to you now via death and or dismemberment. Pete, as we have been so blessed these past weekends, yesterday we were talking Star Wars ahead of talking Star Trek today. Yesterday's Ahsoka podcast discussion about the iconic fifth episode of that series and just a real joy to reflect on. Yeah, the real meat and potatoes of the series so far. Want to make sure you go and check that out. But Matt, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they serving up barely reheated leftovers. Yeah, Werewolf by Night, now on, now in color. And Pete, is it just on Hulu or would that be on Disney Plus as well? I read hulu i don't know just hulu i don't know if it's a value added bundle thing listen man don't sell us a thing we all already watched the charm of which was the way it was colored i get it director michael giacchino personally oversaw the colorization uh i haven't seen anyone respond like "Ooh, can't wait to watch this it it was a nice special i watched it the once i took the notes while i watched it we podcasted it the next day or whatever i don't know that it's it's not you know kind of an iconic special for the ages again if this is if it's stuff like this that the studios are using to bolster the lack of new content um then it just puts the studios in a lesser position, which is A-OK by me and you, and according to recent national polls, the vast majority of Americans. Slightly more MCU uh, news, Matt. The Rogers the Musical uh, full album is now streaming. The fact that they've taken that offering perhaps one of the best things from Hawkeye uh, and turned it into a, a stage production at Disneyland. And then now an album and so forth. I feel like in a certain sense, that's kind of Disney vertical integration at its best. Um, There's no downside to this. If you want to see the half hour stage show at Disneyland, you can go see it. It's not being offered up as, the the brand new exciting thing to come to the park for or anything it's just you know value added and value added so we had we certainly had fun with the musical when it showed up in uh in hawkeye so to have expanded it further i think is win-win speaking of value added matt our fantastic geek 10th anniversary plans continue to come together uh that will culminate on sunday Uh, September 24th, our 10th year hard anniversary. That was the day of the first uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode. Yeah, definitely looking forward to to that. And we'll talk more about it on social media in the coming days and so forth. But uh, uh, folks, keep an eye out for maybe a a save the date and a save the time for, uh, for 
some conversation. And then Matt coming back to the Star Trek universe as the writer's strike stretches into day 138 today. All right. They're talking. We'll see what comes of it. Uh, but news to me that you alerted me of the uh, Star Trek universe panel at New York Comic Con, uh, which we have tickets for we're still kind of arranging based on uh conditions and uh really what might be offered whether we'll go but uh there was trade news this week that uh lower decks will screen an episode on saturday october 14th probably episode 408 and some clues and context that we can take from all of that first and foremost being um it's a 75 minute panel and we know lower decks episodes run uh 25 minutes so what will they fill the rest of the time with one option is that time was set aside in a in a no strike mindset and it might just simply be times updated now will be a 45 minute panel which will be 10 minutes of Whoever is leading it and Ra Ra Siskumba show the episode. Oh, wasn't that great? Uh, and me just being a host, not connected with the show. Well, I'll now take some questions about Star Trek. Uh, and I can't answer questions about the writer strike or the actor strike. Bing, bang, boom. There, there, there could be that. Another option is Pete, maybe they're whoever has planned this is optimistic that it, it will be post strike and more people can get there. Uh, I will say shout out uh, to um to our pal Kristen on twitter it's that nerd girl g-u-r-l underscore uh she's an up-and-coming toronto-based filmmaker she had pointed out on twitter making it very clear actors of animated shows are still allowed to promote their material and i have to admit i i had heard that bandied about but when she said it i said let me dig a little bit further here because i know she's not you know she's she's got got her foot in the door here so here are some particulars it is true that broadcast streaming and series animation voice acting is not struck so they can that work can continue which means promotion can continue lower decks by the way is written under the animation guild not the writers guild so you can only assume that lower decks work has continued at full speed i think the fact that the cast and crew have not necessarily shouted out from the rooftop rooftops is in line with sympathy towards the larger strikes so pete i think there's a scenario where this lower deck screening might include unstruck producers as well as writers and actors there to promote the show without repercussions could they could those folks potentially decline as part of sympathy for the larger strike mm -hmm. sure but it's not it, it's not forbidden for the for show writers and actors to show up. That's my understanding after digging. And hats off again to Kristen for being the spark that lit the flame. Yes, thank you, Kristen. Um, I think it's too uh, rife with problems. The average person not understanding Screen Actors Guild, Animation uh, Voice Guild, uh I would really, really doubt unless there's a positive solution to the labor difficulty at this point that we'll see them. But we'll find out. 
Well, Pete, let's dig into this episode as we head into the Ready Rundown. Program complete. Enter when ready. The Cerritos is in Coracilia, a megastructure ring world tended by Vexelon, an environmental computer, a benevolent force who cares for its charges. Freeman and Ransom beam down for minor fixes on the world computer for this planet of artists and poets. In the computer alcove, Vexelon is surprisingly helpful, not counting for a few bumps in the road. Freeman minored in archaic technology, and she'll get the fix going ASAP. It's not a hardware problem, but rather an old operating system. Time for an update, or a frozen screen, and environmental controls going haywire. Ice clouds fall from the sky. Billups beams down, suggesting the old, turn it off and turn it on again. Freeman puts the system into safe mode, or is it a reboot? The reboot will regenesis the planet now. Elsewhere on the planet, Lieutenant J.G. Boimler, Boss Boimler, is told by Talin that his team is ready. He's in his head for his first mission as a commander. It's a cut-and-dry outing. No risk of death nor dismemberment in disarming what is essentially a building-sized bomb. The declining weather shouldn't be a factor, though let Boimler show the team how to pull the clamps down, etc., despite the fact that it's a three-person job. He'll demo it again, even as the weather worsens. Talin notes that Boimler should put the team to work, but Freeman calls to say the system needs to be put back together again. Boimler is ready to do all of that too, but the ensigns simply must help. They can all have greatness in them, and the pods are clamped back in. That powers Vexelon to properly reboot, but the power plant is close to overheating. Boimler orders his officers out, then presses the shutdown button, moments before the power plant explodes, Boimler's lifeless body being thrown at the ensigns. In the world between worlds, Boimler sees the space koala and is brought back to life. Ransom notes you never forget your first death. Meanwhile, Mariner, Tendi, and Rutherford walk the halls of the Cerritos, ending up in the anomaly storage room. Filled with Easter eggs, including a talking Betazoid gift box and an Almoraine death game. Death to the audience, that is. The trio is called by Dirk to the Isolinear Chip Junction Room to scan every chip by hand. Watch out for Billups Ferret. Are they being hazed by Dirk? They give Dirk an all-clear report, but Dirk returns to show the second layer of chips. Work harder, and there's the ferret. Mariner thinks there's another solution. The Wadi Chula a la Moraine game is set up as a trap for Dirk, who they see in the hall. Dirk notes his fear of Wadi Chula games, leading him to being at risk of a panic attack. Thank goodness the junior officers fixed the chip room. Tendi goes back to check the chips while Rutherford goes to undo the trap and ends up in the a la Moraine game. Oh no! But he works his way out. It's been a good day for all, and the junior grades can't believe that they thought that they were hazed. Meanwhile, Dirk and Ransom clink glasses, having enjoyed some good spirited hazing. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with an easy one. Malfunctioning planetary operating systems. Yes, and the regenesis that comes about with it. It was refreshing to have a computer that pretty much runs everything for a civilization, not have dark, ominous overtones, but where's the humor there? That it needs to malfunction, that something needs to happen to it in order to uh, move the plot forward. 
all right, how do you make that funny? Let's make it like a operating system and have it go down and, you know, cause problems like that. I think too, this clearly, clearly is an episode designed to be a three hander and to give Freeman and associated folks a part of the story and Boimler and his slice and then Mariner Tendi and Rutherford. Um, so if you, you know, oftentimes Freeman is in a supporting role. I think it's equal thirds in this episode and the two planet-based stories interconnect and so forth. So, you know, while it was not the most, the most amazing uh, storyline of Star Trek ever, it kind of made sense. It made sense to be a mechanism by which, you know, you could have four, four cast members plus supporting cast involved in the planetary story take it up to the ship there that anomaly storage room packed with of course references from days past uh the wadi game some of our lower decks adventures uh fun to use that that it's actually these are stored in in a room <laughs> yeah and it's a perfect example of that you know lower decks is in the star trek universe but it's just the the slightly weirder corner like do they really leave such dangerous things just hanging around like that I, I can't imagine that's the way it's done on picard's enterprise and that sort of thing but for our purposes here it certainly is fun uh and they make great use of great use of all those easter eggs including the uh you know the picard inner light you know this this most vaunted of standalone uh, next generation stories maybe maybe the best standalone star trek story uh, ever question mark um, but certainly the inner light is there and to put the total opposite end of that the betazoid gift box which is a real <laughs> real low level uh you, you know deep cut to, to mix those two and to give the betazoid gift box a wife in the inner light is just that that's lower decks comedy alongside that anomaly storage room that most of our lower deckers are forced to perform ensign scrub work even as lieutenant junior grade officers in the isolinear chip junction i mean for me it was shades of uh the naked now and when when star trek was new for me you know first uh hour-long episode of the next generation that all hinged on wesley pulled a bunch of chips out in engineering and data has to fast put the chips back in which it was a cool story device at the time in retrospect it's like really when you take when you take all the keys out you need to put them back the right way that's what makes the starship go um but but it's a star trek thing so to have these these junior officers doing this activity which on the one hand uh, I guess ultimately is legit in that they do find one that's bad, but later revealed to be some, some, I, I guess, good natured hazing from Dirk. Um, the, you know, it's, it, it, it certainly serves the story. Pete, where are you on the notion of Dirk hazing these junior officers? No such thing as good natured hazing. I think the show rightfully calls it out. It's, disguised as team building no it's it's teasing it's a form of bullying there's a power imbalance uh yeah dirk 
jerk. <laughs> uh, he, he needs a Dirk is a jerk shirt. Um, moving on to Boimler's inability to trust the Ensigns. I mean, this is a great use of kind of Boimler's psychology and Boimler as a person. It's in line with his character and it serves the story and it serves the comedy and it serves the kind of meta, you know, Boimler dies and returns in one episode. The fact that he's not ready, he's not ready to share the work with officers that are now lower than him on the rank scale. And he doesn't even trust the fact that he's been given this rank, calling it randomly assigned versus, you know, it's Talin who says, no, you were promoted based on your qualities. They are ensigns. You're Lieutenant Junior Grade. Let's get to work. It's super believable here, his imposter syndrome and the idea that he's got to do it and wants to be approved of so badly and, and be the cool uh, lieutenant junior grade. You know, don't don't call me uh, Boimler. Use a nickname. All of that. And then you add into it what happens to him, Matt. And really now we didn't move the season long it's only been three episodes but it wasn't in this episode the uh season long threat of whatever ship that has attacked both the klingons and the romulans forward now it's this uh sequitur of is something going to happen to brad boimler well first of all i was thrilled that in back-to-back shows that we have done podcasts of we've had characters sent to the the nether place between this world and the next and so forth pete i would just like to say although there was some controversy in our ahsoka podcast it's back-to-back characters sent to the world between worlds is it possible that if brad had gone out the door would he have met ahsoka and anakin (laughs) you can't tell me it's not possible you don't have the evidence to tell me no um but pete speak a little bit more about this notion that maybe a new clock is ticking for Brad Boimler. So we'll talk in theories and there's reversed audio. So we know what is said. Um, But this setting where the koala is this kind of near death experience that uh, Boimler goes through with the, the black mountain, right? Uh, The rest of it is twin peaks, red room, which Matt is not a watcher of and, you know, I'm sure there's some listeners who are into Twin Peaks and uh, some who are not, but they are taking directly from that down to the fact that the koala, like the backwards dancing little person in Twin Peaks, speaks backwards. It's a great kind of refrain of the koala, which I love. You know, I, I think the koala just appeared in one other episode, not counting the... Uh, uh, what was that? The Strange New Worlds animated credit sequence had the koala as well, right? It's oh, in every um, lower decks sequence, it's always there. Right, right, right. That as well. So just the fact that it's kind of become a a quiet through line um, certainly, certainly delights me. And Pete, just want to mention as we really ratchet up into the season of Lower Decks, uh, our thanks to those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. They make sure that we have enough isolinear chips to make the starship go. Yes, head into our red room. Takes you just a dollar a month to get in there. All sorts of exclusives to check out. And as our 10th anniversary 
rapidly approaches, you never know what's going to show up there. Let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories. Pete, it's almost like this episode conspired against us. No further info on this new threat, as you mentioned. Um, I will say we had discussed last week the possibility of perhaps updates each week on that as we head towards a, a fevered climax of it, uh, but without getting it here. Now I don't have a sense. Could it be... Uh, could it be returning next week? Could it be resolved the week after that? I don't have a sense of pace. They break the streak. Okay, we'd gotten two at once, and and there you go. Uh, you don't need to update it every week. It, it's still out there. It's it's still something we need to think about, albeit not move forward in this episode. Uh, wherever Vexalon is, though, Matt, did you notice... Uh, they drew inspiration from the Super Friends Hall of Justice. You know, it looked vaguely familiar. I did not make that connection. Is it a is it a faithful recreation, a faithful quotation? Pretty much, yes. That's fun. That's fun. I mean, that's 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 one animated property nodding to the other. That's uh, that's a good move from Mike McMahon and company. We've seen him before, but I don't believe he was named the Kazinti ensign here uh taylor yet another uh fairly deep cut to find on lower decks yeah and it's funny i let's see did i watch this with subtitles or were the subtitles not working on paramount plus you know this happens you have to every time you go into it tell it to do subtitles yeah um but i was i was amused i was amused that when they find Boimler's body, you know, there's shock and awe. Um, and it's the Kazinti Ensign who off-screen vomits <laughs> in shock, you know. We can be glib with these fake animated characters, certainly. Yes. How about, Matt, the creepy Betazoid gift box? I did not have that on my bingo card as making a reappearance ever. Yeah, it's... Again, it's a deep cut. Uh, Pete, do you know who performed the Betazoid gift box in live action in The Next Generation? You're going to say it, and I'm going to go, oh, yeah. Armin Shimmerman. Quar- oh, it, there yeah. you go. <laughs> um, but Lakewood, New Jersey uh, uh, product. Uh, absolutely. Okay, right around the corner, Armin yeah. Um, The, the, <laughs> the... It's not necessarily an animated flourish, but the story flourish here that not only is it repeating things it's heard from around it, but that it's foul mouthed because it's been around Dr. Ta'ana. That that's super funny as well. Um and, and again, as mentioned, the fact that there's this unseen story where it has its own inner light adventure, for lack of a better word. Uh that's I know I saw something online that was like the most heartfelt star trek thing ever now used for a throwaway joke but it all worked and that's fine like it's such a revered episode it's however it's not above having fun with Can, can we acknowledge that we weren't belabored to see the betazoid gift box and its wife and its child and learning about you know uh preserving a civilization 
that's uh, going through everything as the metaphor of the episode was. No, man, it had its own little adventure and it, it came back melancholy, uh, you know, for having that experience. Um, Pete, here's my theory. I hope that we never need to return to the, uh, the Al Moraine game again. They got away with it this time at great risk to the audience. I've, I've said on Star Trek podcasts before that, uh, you know, I, I had the I had the, the the poor decision as a teenager when Deep Space Nine was not like my Star Trek, the next generation, you know, my kind of interest waned season two, season three, that kind of thing. I distinctly remember like the first point where I was like, maybe Deep Space Nine isn't for me. I remember that Sunday night where, oh, man, there was a new next generation on Saturday night. Now there's a new Deep Space Nine Sunday night getting ready for school the next day, but here's the new D space nine and that Al Moraine jump along home. I just remember the sinking feeling going, boy, this show is not for me. It's so bad. And it holds up even worse that the Wadi dude has a mullet and a mustache that would place him in a windowless white shuttle, uh, you know, with candy and, and puppies to pet it. It, yeah, this is the stuff you make fun of. If the inner light, uh, you know, device is revered and, you know, we're not going to belabor that joke. This is the thing we go to and that Rutherford, you know, rushes through and knows how to solve it makes it even more humorous. Pete, are you ready to dig into the koala? Oh, I've been digging into the koala for a while, Matt. Um you know, Twin Peaks is an all-time uh, TV great, uh, but super cryptic. And, you know, all this stuff of what it can or might mean. Um, but, uh, yeah, that somebody has gone out there and reversed the audio. Um, let's play it now for our listeners. It is not your time, Bradward Boimler. Uh, that's the takeaway there from the backward speaking koala. The implication that there is ultimately a time. And is this going to be something explored? It feels weighty. It doesn't feel like a throwaway. And that it's the koala delivering it, not, you know, some random entity or, you know, just they could have gone with a little person like on twin peaks. I think that twin peaks people might've had something to say if that happened, uh, you know, it is on an homage and also their own by using that character, uh, of the koala. But yeah, it begs the question, should we be worried about Boimler? I think that it's precisely the kind of, you know, funny, sweet bittersweet kind of area that lower decks can go to so it's not impossible to lose a character like that i'm immediately reminded that they're in a in, in a very real sense that there is another bradward boimler out there mm. um his his transporter clone who let's not forget whose death was faked and who was picked up by section 31 and that story uh, i believe it was last season and that story has not been 
uh, returned to yet. So for as much as we're looking ahead to, you know, we know Badgie will return and there is this, it's the, the pearlescent ship. What's that doing? You know, could we have a situation where maybe it's the, it's the best of both worlds, no pun intended, in that Brad Boimler must die. It's just going to be the other one. It's bad Brad Boimler. <laughs> um, and, and and that way the koala's, uh, you know, claim can be can, can be addressed, but we can still have our, you know, our, our core character remain. Could the koala and what you've referred to as the pearlescent ship, could they be connected and really we did move that story forward in this episode? That would be, that would be fun. Is um, that where the Klingons and the Romulans have have gone into that uh, red room space? Possibly. My, my initial reaction was going to be, but how much does Star Trek really have a way station between life and death? And then immediately I'm thinking of, you know, the times that Q pulled Picard there and things of that sort. So. Yeah, I, I mean, think this it, episode's loaded with, you know, pocket realities. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. It'll be interesting. You know, again, there's this claim. I know I said it last week, but there's this claim out of the production. I think it's one of the one of the producers saying this is the first season of Lower Decks where there's been a concerted effort to have serial ongoing ongoing storytelling for the season. Now, obviously, we're not getting that in terms of like. Oh man, will they fix the 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 planetary computer? I'll find out next week. So again, I think that it's one thing to say that to Trek Core, Trek Movie, or Hollywood Reporter, or, or whoever. It might not be obvious to the audience that each week we are building towards a larger thing. But I think you're onto something there, Pete. That maybe that's part of the shuffle. That regardless of whether they knew the first two episodes were going to be aired same week and all of that, we get we get story updates in the first two episodes and we appear not to in the third, it would be fun to look back and say, no, this too contributed to it. The isolinear chip junction room, the ultimate mindless task here that our lieutenants thought they were past, but that it's flooded with gas that the chips themselves become hot and or hotter. And then you have Billups, ferret uh that for some unknown reason terrifies rutherford thrown into the mix there a really volatile environment it is and i appreciate that what could have just been kind of a single you know we have the three stories in this episode what could have been a single story element uh with the ferret just added madcap craziness um you know we see billups when he beams down to the computer control room Oh, he's really upset over the loss of his ferret who got out. And then he sees, oh, the totality of this job. And he kind of snaps back into the fully professional moment. But uh, that's uh, that's fun stuff. Orion hazing, Matt. And, of course, Tendy's knowledge of it dovetailing a long time alongside the uh, hazing they're uh, evidently receiving. Yeah, and she's the one to correctly pick up on that. Um, I'll be okay if maybe they don't return to, you know, like they figure out that they were hazed and now they're, they're after dark and things of that sort. But in so far as 
they are trying to build these characters. Whether there's the serial plan for season four or not, we are seeing the progress of these characters and, you know, Tendi towards chief science officer, one day a captain, perhaps. While that doesn't necessarily beg to be updated each and every week, we see her taking that position of authority to some degree here, that, that position of leadership. Um, again, in an episode, there's nothing wrong with this episode. This episode is not the best Lower Decks ever. Um, it's also not lacking in any way. It's, it's kind of like a mid-season episode, which might seem to be damned by faint praise, but it's a fun episode that, as I said before, gets more characters than usual involved in storylines. Um, and then to add to it, Tendi flexing her leadership muscle a bit. That's that's nice to see. This lieutenant junior grade mission mortality rate obviously adds an ominous layer to it. And then you see what happens to, to Boimler. Uh, but is this really the case in Star Trek? Have we noticed this before? Or is this just something that Talyn is throwing out there? Um. I think I'd say maybe somewhere in the middle. I mean, I, obviously there's the Star Trek red shirt security officer thing. Probably if we look back, there's probably more situations where it's like, we're following the main cast and they're like, oh man, I can't believe we lost beta team or they're rolling up to the planet where the outpost crew has been lost and is presumed dead. So probably probably has happened to us as viewers more than we think we're just used to because it's television it's the 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 people who don't get named characters or the people who don't get their name in the credits uh in the opening credits those are the people who die um i think too it's a little bit of a reminder in this fun light comedic star trek show there are real stakes um i don't think we think they're all going to you know, die at the end of this season. And that'll be, you know, thus the end of Star Trek Lower Decks. But for the lives they live, there are stakes out there amongst the stars. Well, speaking of stakes, Matt, I need you to weigh in definitively. Are you team Tellerite Slop Jazz or Scuzz Blues? Uh, I'm definitely a Scuzz Blues guy. Is that the wrong answer? Slop jazz all the way, baby. With that, uh, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. To Twitter we go where uh, people were asked, which tale of the three storylines did you most enjoy? Uh, at 30% was the Chip story with Mariner and Company. And then tying at 35% was Bo- Boss Boims and the c- Captain I Minored in this. Um, some replies on Twitter, one from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. The Menage a Troy storytelling device was especially fun this week, but an even better trio was the plot-rific mashup of the three famous artifacts from one of Star Trek's best, The Inner Light, and two of its worst, Move Along Home and Haven. Um, I feel like that that's just very lower decks to do that mashup. Uh, then Pete, the last tweet from, I'll always call it Twitter, K-C-L-Y-L-E-1. As much as I like Boim's story, I love it when the Lower Deckers are together. So I had to go with Chips. Slop Jazz will now be a part of my lexicon. The show never fails to make me laugh out loud. Um, 
And yeah, that's what this episode did, Pete. It was a good old. It was it. It was a fun episode that had that had laughs and adventure. Nice little romp. Absolutely. And let's keep the Star Trek conversation going, Pete. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter and Threads at Peter P I E T E R J K L R K E T E L A A R twelve thousand. 663 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter is looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail and threads where we are fantastic geek as well but we pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today Pete, on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we are back next Saturday for Star Wars Saturday to talk Ahsoka episode 106. And then, of course, uh, back on Star Trek Sunday for the next episode of Lower Decks. Maybe some other goodies in the interim here and there. Time will tell. Uh, But certainly also looking forward to Sunday next week uh, talking more about Fantastic Geek's 10th anniversary. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Alan Moraine, Lemon Meringue. She never fails to take my breath away. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?